As I speak to you, it's been 72 hours since the death of Her Late Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. Racing in Great Britain recommenced at Doncaster on Sunday with the running of the world's oldest classic horse race, the St. Ledger, run very much in her honour. The race was won by Elder Elderob. It was a second victory in the race for trainer Roger Varian, ridden by David Egan. David Egan, after the race, paid tribute to Jack de Bromhead, the pony racing rider who tragically lost his life aged 13 a week ago. And Jack was commemorated on Irish Champions Weekend at Leopardstown and the Curragh with the wearing of red ribbons. The racing at Irish Champions Weekend was similarly spectacular. Luxembourg justified trainer Aidan O'Brien's great faith in him by giving the trainer an 11th victory in Ireland's premier all-aged race. Pearls Galore won the matron stakes for Paddy Toomey under a brilliant ride from Billy Lee. And then the action transitioned to the Curragh on Sunday afternoon, where performances of breathtaking quality came chiefly from Highfield Princess, who made it three top-level wins in 35 days by blasting her rivals apart in the Flying Five. Tahira looked a two-year-old of real star quality for trainer Dermot Weld, who'd also trained her half-sister Tanawa to such good effect. And there was a stunning, staying performance from Kiprios, who, like Highfield Princess, made it three Group 1s on the spin in the Irish St. Ledger. David Yates is newsboy from the Daily Mirror. David, it's fair to say in this extraordinary time, this historic time, this sad time, this solemn time, the horse racing on both sides of the Irish Sea, and to a certain extent in France, rose to the occasion on Sunday. Week in, week out, Nick, one expresses dissatisfaction uh, with the way that racing is conducted or sometimes conducts itself. And I think that this weekend, uh, today and yesterday in Ireland and, and today in, in the UK, um, I think it got so much right. The quality of the racing obviously was excellent. The, the Irish Champions weekend, you've got six Group 1 races and, of course, the oldest classic at Doncaster, which was restaged today. The, the the quality of the racing pretty much looks after itself. We know that. But I think that both meetings, the way that everything was staged, everyone conducted themselves at, at, amid a, a very sombre time because of Her Majesty's death and also because of the, the tragic death of Jack de Bromhead. This was a, 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 a very testing time. Uh, for horse racing and i think that it's come out of it with with an awful lot of credit and before we before we go into uh, the details of of the last couple of days i'd start by singling out david egan i thought that he's a 23 year old who always conducts himself with such grace and dignity there have been times in his career obviously he's had some some huge triumphs but there have also been some testing times too and i thought that today uh his his dedication of, of the victory of eldar elderoff to jack de bromhead obviously he referenced her majesty queen elizabeth ii to someone who is very impressive in the saddle but someone who never ceases to impress me out of it the horse elder elderoff trained by roger varian i'm recording this podcast or the bulk of it uh, from Tennessee on Sunday night because I'm about to board a flight back home. Um, I managed to catch up with with Roger as he was driving back uh, to his new market base. I, I congratulated him on his success and also asked him how the day had been and how he felt um, during during what was a, 
an unusual but but very productive day for him on Town Moor. Well, it's a very special day, you know. Obviously, for us, we're elder elder of winning the Saint Ledger, um, but it felt a little bit different as a as a race day um, to what we normally feel. You know, obviously, uh, the race was put back twenty four hours um, after the Queen's passing, and it was a different atmosphere on the race course today, for sure. You know, you'd have to say it was a little bit subdued. Um, and uh, you know the race goers at Doncaster, you know, seem to be there for the racing and, and possibly for the Queen as well. Um, so it had a different feel to it, but uh, obviously we were, you know, very joyous uh, in the occasion. But of course, um, you know, we're all thinking of of the royal family and uh, you know, and the loss of a Queen, you know, paints a slightly different uh, mood on the day. Roger, aside from being a great triumph for you and, and your whole team. What did today tell us about Elder Elderov and how did it inform us about his his future? Yeah, so, you know, he, he looks a, a, a thorough stayer, Nick. He's, he's obviously got a lot of class. You know, he's a horse who, who I think his best days are still ahead of him. He's, I think that's only his fifth career start today. You know, stamina uh, looks his strong suit. You know, he was he was dominant in the final furlong today, you know, on a, on a soft ground mile and three quarter test you know and he looks like he could go go on and on so you know i think he's a horse to look forward to um, over the next year or two and i think we should you know celebrate what he is and, and he looks like he's going to be a you know be a staying horse and hopefully a you know a force in the staying division you know for the next year or two and that's a division that seems to have really come alive the last few years. We've had Stradivarius and Trushan and Coltrane. We'll talk about him a little bit later in the programme was the winner of the Doncaster Cup. And, of course, Kiprios making it three straight group ones in the in the Irish St. Ledger. It's, it's going to be a, a, a deep and fascinating division next year. Absolutely. You know, and I think it's a great, um, it's great for the staying breed, isn't it? The staying horses, but it's a competitive division and it's a division where horses can, you know, race on and on. You know, as it, as the likes of Stradivarius and, and Yates um, previously have have shown, and um, you know, we're only just digesting the success today of, of Elder Elder of Saint Ledger, and we need to you know get home and and sort of debrief and, and speak with connections and, and see what exact uh, direction we want to go in for the remainder of this year and, and for next year as well. So I don't want to sit, say anything that's set in stone. Yeah, you you said might there might be something for him left this year do you think well there might be he's only raced four times this year he's had a, a good break um you know since he contested the grand prix de paris he's had uh what is that, eight weeks or so um you know in between that race and, and, and today's race and you know he, he's got entries in the autumn i think he's in the two mile race at ascot and you know he holds an entry in melbourne and, and you know a race which a three-year-old one of race beckett's last year royal oak in long shot comes in october so you know he, he's got the option of having another run this year whether we take that option or not and and which option we take i can't say here and now um but uh you know we'd be looking beyond this year you know we'd be looking to him racing next year and uh you know he He's an exciting prospect for sure, mm. and obviously everyone's ears would have pricked up there when you when you said Melbourne. That is in the mix. I'm not trying to press you because you said you know you'll you'll leave it a while to decide. But it, it could that be in the mix? 
Yeah, well, he holds an entry in the race. I'm not going to um, completely rule it out, um, but it, I, I don't think it needs to be a, a headline at this stage. As I say, we'll, we'll enjoy today. We'll make sure the horse is in good shape tomorrow, and um, that's most important. And, of course, I've not had a chance really to um, to talk with, with the owner and the owner's connections about uh, where we go, if we do go anywhere and run again this year. So he, he does have options to run again. Um, but I think uh, looking beyond this year, you know, that's really what, what excites us, I think. Roger Varian teeing up some very interesting possibilities for his star stayer, Elder Elderov, after the victory in the St. Ledger. The second place horse in that race was the filly Haskoy. She was demoted to fourth because the stewards deemed that the interference that she caused the fourth placed horse cost that horse more than the distance that he was beaten by. As such, he was moved up and Haskoy was demoted behind him. You don't often see horses demoted more than one place in a race. The rulebook entitled the stewards to follow that course of the action, given the way they interpreted it, Dave Yates. But it's a question of whether they interpreted their rule correctly, in your opinion. What do you think? Yeah, I, I was surprised, I must admit. I, I thought that whilst significant interference took place as as Haskoy edged to her left, I, I thought it was uh, unlikely that the stewards would... Uh, take the action that they did that it was inevitable that Frankie Dettori would get a ban and he did he got five days he's in a um a, a very strange situation now as a result of the ban that he got from riding in Germany last weekend uh, he's banned pretty much up to the pre de triumph and this five-day suspension from uh, the St Ledger begins on October the 3rd so October the 2nd, the day of the Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe, de Tory is not banned and he's able to uh, take whatever rides come his way. If the race had been staged on its uh, scheduled date, then presumably that ban would have started on October the 2nd. I was surprised that, that the stewards felt that, that Haskoy, who, who finished three quarters of a length in front of Javalotta, that um, that... that interference had allowed her to remain in front of him it was a close call but I, I was surprised they turned things around certainly uh Rafe Beckett was of similar mood I, I I did speak to the trainer and he was unequivocal in saying that he would contest that he said that he felt that the rules as they stand had been maladministered that's that's my word not Rafe Beckett's but he was he was very definite in saying that they would contest the decision of the Doncaster stewards. Uh, of course, Dottori will uh, re remain banned because that was a careless riding ban, uh, whatever they decided to do with the placings. But yeah, I was surprised. Rafe Beckett too, and that's why he will proceed with an appeal. Rafe Beckett also suggested that the, he might go for the pre-Royal Oak, the same race that Elder Eldorov's entered in with Haskoy, uh, or they might draw stumps for the season. There's a Outside possibility of the Phillies and Mayors at Ascot, but he said he'd rather have the extra week uh, as he's looking at, at this stage. But if she is going to go up in distance, and if Elder Elderov is going to go up in distance, they will face the formidable Kiprios. If he goes round again, he is going to be a match for any horse. Three Group 1s now, the Gold Cup, the Goodwood Cup, and now the Irish St. Ledger. Already a remarkable horse, and, and horses that burn with that sort of phosphorescent brilliance they often don't last all that long, it seems to me. And 
in Kiprios, you've got just a, a blue-collar horse who always seems to do enough this season. He's five from five. Remember that um, it was pretty hard fought in the Gold Cup at Royal Ascot. Then, it, again, similar story uh, with Stradivarius in the, goal, in, in the Goodwood Cup two starts ago. This time it looked running to the final furlong as if Hamish was a real danger to Kiprios. But once again, he rolled up his sleeves, he got a bit of dirt under his fingernails and he got the job done. And it seems to me that that this is something that will uh, prolong Kiprios's career. He, he may not do things by extended distances, but he gets them done. That was not Aidan O'Brien's most notable training performance of the weekend. That came with Luxembourg in the Irish Champion Stakes. It tells you a lot about this weekend that we're here now before we were even talking about him. I thought that was just a sublime piece of training. And we had to take on trust, Dave, what Aidan had told us on this podcast last week, that there was just bags of improvement in this horse. And so it proved how big a candidate for the arc is he now and how much... Will that be playing on Baid's connections mind as, as regards whether they go to Paris or not? Well, I, I think the, the 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 thing that will be uppermost, the consideration that's uppermost in the mind of the connections of Baid will be the ground. I think that if we got a decent surface in Paris on October the 2nd, I think they'd be quite happy to take on all comers. And so... The fact that Luxembourg will be going there, I don't think that would give them sleepless nights because if it rains and it's soft ground, then Baid won't run uh, at Longchamp on October the 2nd. Often people decry uh, the, the the training career or they contextualise, let's put it that way, the, the, the training career of Aidan O'Brien in that it's propped up by the Coolmore stud, which obviously has produced some incredible stallions uh, over the decades. And, you know, people will often come up with the uh, with the line, well, let's be honest about it, he's training the best horses. But this was a real uh, insight and a window into the training art of the and the genius of Aidan O'Brien. Just roll the clock back to the 13th of August last month when um, Luxembourg won the Royal Whip Stakes. Most of us, I thought, looking at the Royal Whip, think, well, thought, well, this horse has got an awful lot of progress to make if he's going to win the Irish Champion Stakes. As you say, Aidan O'Brien, he put a number on it. Well, he put no, two numbers on it for us. He said this horse will improve 20 to 30%. And for those of us who, I suppose, aren't horsey people and we're a little bit chained to the figures uh, when it comes to the, the way that we look at horse racing, we thought, well, come on, a, a neck defeat of insinuendo, that's not going to be enough to win the Irish champion. And then come the 10th of September, that 20 to 30% that Aidan O'Brien promised us would appear, duly did appear. And we know the ammunition that, that Aidan O'Brien uh, has at his disposal, but this was the trainer's art. It's strange to think that when this horse was favourite for the derby on the back of that excellent third in the 2000 guineas on April the 30th, that he'd be having his first start at a mile and a half in the Prix de Light de Triomphe. But so much depends, doesn't it, on the racing surface that we get in Paris on the first Sunday of October. You used the word phosphorescent earlier on in this show, not one that's that's made an appearance on, on the podcast before. It, it might well describe all three of Highfield Princess's last victories. She's knocked up three Group 1s now in 35 days. I was thinking, Dave, 
she must be the best sprinting female in Europe anyway since since Locksong, and I'm not even sure Locksong could have won a Group 1 at, at over six furlongs. In fact, I know she couldn't. If we are going to use the word phosphorescent again, we have to use it with reference to that victory in the Flying Five. I think we could call that a representative five furlong sprint at the Curra today. Uh, it was on soft ground and Highfield Sprint Princess. Uh, she absolutely blitzed a victory. As you said, three Group One races in 35 days. It's an absolute, you know, talking about the, the genius of Aidan O'Brien and Luxembourg. Well, this is a filly who started life in handicaps from a, a British horse racing authority mark of 57. John Quinn said afterwards, we won't be going to the Abbey. Uh, we will go to the Breeders' Cup sprint at Keeneland on uh, November the 5th. So that would be four Group One or Grade One sprints in three different four different countries and uh two different continents so if she could pull that off that would be some feather in the cap of john quinn wouldn't it it'll be fireworks night at keeneland if i feel princess turns up in the same form as she has done the last three times there was just a little later a sparkling performance from a two-year-old that two-year-old tahira dermot weld's season has turned quite spectacularly he was disappointed clearly with homeless songs in the matron stakes but Tahira is a, a real prospect she won't run again this season she'll be prepared for the 1000 guineas next year or one of the 1000 guineas anyway yeah that's right he talked afterwards about um England Ireland and France for Tahira a half sister of you as you've said to Tanawa a, a three-time winner at the top level and I felt that with Tahira it was very interesting that Dermot Weld chose to put this filly into the highest level after that victory, albeit an impressive one, five and a half lengths at the Galway Festival at the end of July. There, there was something there that told you, surely the master trainer thinks that there is something very special in Tahira, that, that he stepped her up right into the top level for the Moyglare Stud Stakes and a, a race in which... Aidan O'Brien, not surprisingly, uh, supplied a strong favourite. And if that reading between the lines was right, that Dermot Weld thought, well, we really ought to put this one uh, into Group 1 company straight away, Tahira justified that that, uh, that view in spades. I thought she was really impressive. As you say, that's the end of her for the season now. Uh, she will start in a trial and then look at uh, one of the 1,000 guineas. She's now the fourth one favourite for the Kipco 1,000 guineas at Newmarket next spring. And whilst we're on the subject of the two-year-olds, this was more of a mixed bag for Aidan O'Brien and Bally Doyle, with Auguste Rodin looking very good on Saturday. But the two heavy favourites, Meditate, we've discussed behind a very good horse in Tahira, might well have run right up to her best. Aesop's Fables, possibly a little disappointing in the national stakes, but the Coolmore team won't mind too much at all because the race was won by Al Riffart. Loads of layers of significance here. First of all, win for Joseph O'Brien, beating his brother Donica. That's quite something in itself in a Group 1 race. Um, so Aidan, I'm sure, will have been very proud. Al Riffart beating Proud and Regal. But second, it was a first Group 1 for the very promising Dylan Brown McGonagall, and there will be plenty more of those. And thirdly, and perhaps most importantly, this was a Group 1 victory for a horse bred on the Wooten Bassett Galileo Cross, so a Galileo mare uh, and by Wooten Bassett, and that is going to be a formula 
that is going to be very dear to the hearts of everybody at Coolmore and John Magna in the years moving forward. So that was fairly significant. Now, as I said, Dermot Weld, out of luck with Homeless Songs the previous day in the matron stakes, she was disappointing. Not so pearls galore, who may well head to the Breeders' Cup herself. The filly and mare turf would be the obvious race for her, for Paddy Toomey. What a brilliant season he continues to enjoy. Uh, Billy Lee with an excellent ride as well. Reverting to Doncaster, fantastic edition of the Flying Childers Stakes. Two very fast two-year-old fillies. The filly that Highfield Princess had defeated in the Nunthorpe, the Platinum Queen. What a wonderfully named winner she would have been, but she went down by a very narrow margin to Trillium, the daughter of No Nay Never, who was really tough and has got a, a big future. And I'll be intrigued to see what happens to her when Richard Hannon steps her up in trip. The Dogster Cup saw a defeat for Trushan at the hands of Coltrane, whose owner Mick Mariscotti is developing a very, very sure touch indeed by getting a massive return from a, a fairly limited outlay as well. He scours Tattersall's book one, occasionally book two, and he bought Coltrane for 50,000 guineas, Masakela for 30,000, Swilkin Bridgie won on Derby Day for 14,000. Uh, Glennon Finnan, who looks a very exciting prospect, second in the convivial at York, um, a mighty 100,000, which McMarriscotti is kind of a lot by, by your standards. Congratulations, first of all. Um, uh, you must have taken great pleasure from what Coltrane's done this season. Yeah, it's been brilliant. He, as you probably know, he had a whole year off. Um, with an injury and he came back on the um, all weather um, and we weren't sure whether there was still a spark there um, but as soon as he's hit the grass he's got better and better frankly during the season so yeah we're delighted and he's a horse that you you've had to be patient with did Andrew Balding always give you the assurance that if you did bide your time you'd have a you'd have a proper pattern class cup horse on your on your hands uh, not quite, no. Andrew Andrew wasn't convinced that he was a racehorse at all, um, and it was a bit of a surprise when he came second on his uh, on his debut. Um, but he's, as I say, he's uh, he's he's got better and better, certainly on the grass, and um, we're we're all delighted um, with him. Um, he's also, I have to say, I have to give credit to both of Andrew's sons, Jono and Toby, um, who've both, um, um, been work riding him. Jono, not anymore because he's, uh, he's rather too large for that. But, um, Toby certainly has been there schooling him at home. Yeah. For, for those who don't know Jono, he's, what is he about? Six, 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 seven, something like that. Yeah. Something like that. Yes. Um, but one of the most knowledgeable people on on pedigrees anywhere in the anywhere in the country, and that that leads me neatly onto your your purchasing policy because I read all those out. And I never like to be flippant about money that's still significant and say the horses are cheap, but it's it's a relative business. And for Tattersall's Book One horses, you're getting an awful lot of bargains, Mick. How are you doing it? Uh, we take advice, um, particularly from um, Lady Emma Balding and Andrew, um, and we we try to buy the individual rather than necessarily the pedigree, um, because frankly, at the, the level we play at, um, the, the pedigree is not the most important thing. Um, and we, Janice and I, spend time looking at, um, at horses. We, we attend books one and book two. Um, we do the hard miles. Um, but principally, we take the advice of the people who know what they're doing. But that's you've just touched on an interesting point because either owners like to do it all themselves sometimes, or 
they they devolve all responsibility to an agent. It strikes me that you're somewhere in between. Maybe that's the secret that you're putting all the graft in as well, but you're taking counsel from the right people. Yeah, I mean, basically, we won't buy anything unless the whole team thinks it's um, worth us doing it. And that doesn't mean that everything we buy is uh, turns out to be successful. But um, providing a, a, a sensible percentage of them do, it, it, it has kept us it's kept us in for the past um, well, sixteen years. So it, it, we must be doing something right. You're doing you're doing an awful lot right, and and it's interesting that you go to the sale that's widely regarded as the the elite sale in the UK in terms of in terms of Group One prospects, uh, and you're trying to get the ones that maybe aren't aren't obvious, and a lot of people would think counter to what you're thinking that oh hang on a minute I'm not sure I want the worst in there I'd rather have the best in in book two or three. It's an interesting philosophy. Was it one that you picked up on quite quickly? Um, I think it just developed. Um, we the, the first horses um, were bought by Andrew and Emma, and we didn't see them before we bought them. Um, but pretty soon we said, well, we, we'd kind of like to um, play a part in this, and uh, and we love it. And and I think the, the you know we are we are looking to achieve the unachievable because our average strike price on our horses in in book one is well below the median and well below the average. So we are buying the horses that are falling through the gaps. And you're buying some some lovely horses as well. Which which horse thus far has given you the most satisfaction in terms of achievement relative to your initial expectation? I would say Coltrane um, because he's uh, it, it, there's a particular joy in a horse that has um, has been injured and you're not sure whether it's going to have a racing career at all. Um, but to come back this year, he, he's won at Royal Ascot, uh, he's won a listed race at Sandown, and today he's won a Group Two, and and that's that's really special. He's also he's just a lovely individual as well. There's there's no one at the yard who would have a bad word to say about Coltrane. Uh, that's lovely to hear Mick thanks so much for sharing your thoughts and um, I'm going to follow you around uh, Tattersall's in, in October without, <laughs> with, with that, with that, in, a, in, in disguise look forward to it look forward to it Nick so racing in the UK resumed on Sunday and it was the beginning also of, of National Racehorse Week Rod Street you'll know very well is the chief executive of Great British Racing and British Champion Series uh, Rod, I know you've you've been out and about yourself as a as a as a spectator, as a participant in in National Racehorse Week today. Just just tell me a little bit about how how you found the experience. It's been wonderful, Nick. I've been up to two open days today, adjoining yards, Sarah Hollinshead and Steph Hollinshead. They were both very busy, and there was a palpable sense of community. I think racing fans and indeed the general public wanted to come and show their respect and appreciation for Her Majesty the Queen. The fact that racing was her greatest passion, it, it kind of felt like being close to racehorses felt like a, a very proper thing today. The, the atmosphere was, it was very calm and peaceful, rather reflective, but, but really special. And, and um, it, it, it feels like it was a really good decision to keep this week of Open Days um, ha happening. And there seems a, a real appropriateness to it, as you say, particularly as we've heard so many great tributes over the last 72 hours that have, have really focused on 
not just the Queen's love of racing from a competitive standpoint, because indeed it, it was that, but also her depth of understanding of of not just the horse, but of, of all animals, really, and a, a real empathy that that some people have, others others have less so. I think so. And it, it was reflected today in the, the many stable staff and, and trainers that gave up their time to show people what goes into looking after racehorses and that it's a, a genuine passion play. You can't fake it in this game. You can't do these relentless early mornings and these long hours and, unless you love it. And it was just so apparent today. And I think the people that attended saw that and appreciated that. And to see so many people wanting to express you know, their love of racehorses just felt the most appropriate thing. And we, we're so pleased with what's been a a monumental, you know, monumental effort to open up the sport to the public over the course of a week with 180 yards opening, some 33 community events. It it's great that we've kept that on the move and that people in these really sort of exceptional circumstances have got an opportunity to to get close to the sport that Her Majesty loved the best. That the statue of, of Her Majesty with um, a mare and foal, which stands at the top of, of Newmarket High Street, just before you turn off into the Rowley Mart, I've always thought was a, a really beautiful piece of work. And there have been many floral tributes laid over the past few days. National Racehorse Week will come and culminate with the Sir Henry Cecil uh, open weekend. That that promises to be pretty special this year. I know Charlie Fellows and his team have worked very, very hard on that. Absolutely. They haven't confirmed it for sure yet. There's a, a meeting tomorrow, which I'm attending, but I'm hoping that they'll be so encouraged by what's happened over the weekend with the reaction to the open days that they will give it the, the green light. I know there's an appetite to do so. And I think Newmarket um, next weekend offers us probably the most significant opportunity to pay a big tribute to Her Majesty the Queen, and we'll be we'll be working on that in the in the coming days. I I hope, as will yards large and small around the country. And and being that I know you have lots of listeners to this podcast, it, it, I would like to take the opportunity to thank all of the trainers and yards for remarkable flexibility and what's been a very testing forty eight hours or so. And so many yards have rescheduled from Saturday, which we had to cancel because of, of racing not taking place anywhere. But people have been brilliant and understanding. And um, it just goes to show what this sport can, can do in these moments. Rod, thank you so much. Pleasure, Nick. Uh, David Yates is still with me. And David uh, has got a selection for you for this afternoon. We can go to Brighton for the 3.30, number seven, Silver Bubble. We know Brighton attracts course specialists. Silver Bubble's been there four times and has won three. Two of those have been over course and distance. She carries a £5 penalty for a victory at Brighton a week ago. And the follow-up is very much on the cards for Gay Calloway, whose team continue to go well. 3.30 race at Brighton, selection number seven, Silver Bubble. Dave, thank you very much. We will be back again tomorrow. Uh, I will leave you with the words of one of this weekend's heroes, Ryan Moore, as he paid tribute to Her Late Majesty Queen Elizabeth. Riding for the Queen was um, obviously, obviously just a, a massive privilege. Um, she she loved being a owner breeder. She she took um, great pride in her horses, and you could see when she came to the yard. You know, she'd always come in the spring. I, I remember I have an image of her um, holding the horse and 
stroking a horse. She she loved being around her um her horses. She knew them, and uh, she had a a great depth of knowledge of 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 her horses and and horse racing. And uh, I was incredibly lucky to to ride for her since since I was an apprentice. The Queen enjoyed winning, and uh, so having them with Sir Michael was a was a good thing to do. Um, we had uh, we had we had lovely lovely times, and um, yeah, always in the in the springtime when she'd she'd go to to, to Richard's yard, or, or um, when she came to Newmarket, and we'd get to meet her with the other trainers and some of the other jockeys. It was all they were, they were great mornings, and um, you know we have some fantastic memories. She she was. Um, great to ride for she she took defeat very well she was a great you know whatever the circumstances she was always understanding she she knew she knew the the pitfalls and all the things that could go wrong uh, look i was very honored to to um to ride for her for i suppose 20 years yeah, uh, you, you, one's not surprised by by hearing of her her stoicism and her resolve in in defeat. And uh, there's the, the the bits of footage that we do have from Ascot, the, the bit of private footage in her box from years ago when she won the sweepstake, and and the uh, the piece of footage that's most memorable, of course, is her waving to you when you'd won the when you'd won the gold cup on Estimate, and you'd you'd won the the Queen's vase on the on the same filly the year before. Just. Just how deeply did that did that touch you that 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 moment as a as a sportsman and as a as a person? Yeah, I I think I was I was, I was very aware of the significance of it. Um, I, I think what I remember most is um, how happy she was afterwards, and uh, that's the whole point of it, isn't it? You know, it's to give people enjoyment out of the sport, and um, I, I I truly believe that. She 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 loved being a part of of racing and um and uh, we loved loved have loved being being part of it with her. She, her. Her impact on racing's been been huge, and well, her impact on on the world's been huge for a long, long time. So very very special lady, and um, I don't need to say it. I think everybody knows it. You can everyone around the world is just saying good things. So. Yeah.